Grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. And again, if you don't have your, if you didn't uh, grab a Bible this morning before you left the house, um, like sometimes I forget to do, <laughs> and I'm preaching, <laughs> it happens. Uh, there are just a few, there's a few Bibles out there on the table. If ever you need a Bible, uh, feel free to grab one of those uh, and, and for, to use it this morning. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 11 of Luke. We're going to be in verse 27 and 28. Long section, I know, so bear with me. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Oh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. He said, rather, mm -hmm. blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Lord Jesus, open your word to us. Even with it being so short, God, open your heart to us. Open up your word to us that we may hear and keep, Lord, your word. Open up your spirit to encourage us, to give us hope, to, give it, to show us your purpose, and to show us our identity in Christ here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this morning, I've entitled my sermon, To, he to Hear and to Keep the Word. And in our, in our, wor in our world today, it's, it's very interesting to, to, to observe, both in our own lives and in, the, in, the, in, our, in our culture, all over this concept of identity crisis, having an identity crisis in ourselves, in what we're doing, who we are, where we're going, what we're, what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to work, you know, who am I? Who am I? You know, the great question, well, I guess the first one is, what is real? What is truth? And the second one, who am I based on that truth? You know, I remember uh, we, we hear all stories about this concept of, I need to go and find myself. I need to discover myself. Uh, <clears throat> there, there was a, 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 a movie uh, called Wild. And a very, very good movie. It inspired me to be a, a backpacker, to, to go out and be a backpacker. I love just watching this movie following this journey of this, of this lady uh, based on this lady named Cheryl Strayed, into the wilds of the Pacific Crest Trail. that goes all the way from the Mojave Desert, all the way in, in Southern California, all the way up to the Canadian border. And it, it has some rough parts because it, it shows her story of brokenness beforehand, a bit, a little bit too vivid, vividly, from my opinion. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, but the, the story overall of, of going to find herself and, and for healing in her life, going on this journey of self-discovery, and several years later, uh, there was the, the Netflix series that wrapped up a little bit of, of the Gilmore Girls. It was four episodes, you know, and it followed four different seasons, the four different seasons. And Lorelai was going to, she was going to go out. She was inspired by her reading of this book, Wild, and she needed to find herself. She felt lost, and so she was going to go, and so she stayed at the hotel where, you know, the, the, this famous movie and book was written for, and, uh, <laughs> and, and she was, she was ready to head out, and she put the backpack on, and she was like, what am I doing? This is stupid. I know who I am. I love Luke. I want to marry Luke, you know. And so she, she threw her backpack of like $1,000 or more worth of stuff and just threw it in the dumpster. I'm like, no. <laughs> but so she, she feared out. She didn't even have to hike the Pacific Crest Trail to find herself. Uh, that was even a famous movie. 
Another one, because I'm fluent in movie quotes, um, which I have not actually seen this one, um, but it's called Into the Wild. Talking about this guy who uh, left his lifestyle in, on the East Coast and just strayed ar around for a long time because he just wanted, he felt he didn't know who he was. His, his family was super rich and he was like, I don't know who I am. And so he left and went all around the country and hitchhiked up to Alaska. And he was, he found this old bus on the edge of this, this trail and he stayed in the bus for a while and, and started eating these, these, uh, these, this plant um, uh, oh, shoot, what was it called? Uh, something potato seeds, um, which actually ended up, they scientifically discovered that that's what actually killed him. It weakened him and made him to where he was paralyzed, pretty much. He couldn't walk. So he couldn't walk the 20 miles back to the road or the one mile to the ranger station to find help. And so, but he, he kept a, a journal about his self-discovery of who am I and discovering these things. And I loved his his inspiration, he said he went out to, to go and do this because he wanted to experience the raw throb of life without a safety net. You know, we just, we're inspired by these, these coming-of-age stories, these self-discovery stories. And we're inspired to go and do them. I'm going to go and sell everything that I have and go and just be a vagabond and, and travel in a, in a camper all across the country. And, you know, that doesn't actually sense. Not a bad idea. It sounds like fun, right? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we, we, where are these times in your own life? Because you, do you remember those times in your own life where you had these, these just significant times in your life where this is a coming to Jesus moment? This is a point of discovery. This is a crossroads for your life. This is a defining decision. Do you remember that from a year or so, year or so ago? I had the, the board up here. You know, the, 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 we, our lives are made up of defining decisions and, 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 and supporting decisions, minor, small decisions, that help keep us on the trajectory of the divine, defining decision. We have these times in our life. Mine, you know, several times. I can remember, you know, my freshman year of college. I questioned everything that I believed to be true in the, in the faith and, and everything and those coming years in, in college and set me on a different trajectory than I thought I was going to be on when I graduated high school. Going into the internship in Seattle. Uh, if you may know, know the story, I was, I was settled. I was, I was going to stay in Waco and live in the house that my grandmother was going to let me live in. And I was going to live, you know, work my $7.50 an hour. I got a raise, 25 cent raise, you know, my, you know, minimum wage job in, in Waco, Texas, and God blew up the house and got me laid off, and I had to go to Seattle, and basically threw me in the deep end of the pool, like, ah! But God came, and he was there with me, and just this incredible defining decision and defining time in my life. And honestly, you know, and when we moved to Idaho that, that season, and when we moved here, this was a huge defining decision for our lives. And a, a, and a, and a decisive shift, if you will. <laughs> in our life, in the life of our, of our family, and in the life of this church. It was a defining moment. It was a defining decision in our history. And so, in our lives, we wrestle with that question, who am I in this life? And in order to, you know, we want to answer this question, why? So that we know what to do in our life. The question that the guy, you know, who left everything and sold everything and just hitchhiked to Alaska, 
he made a decision that he was not a part of that family. He was not a wealthy man, that he was not going to be controlled by this and that. And so it led him to do something different. He decided that he was a vagabond, and then he followed through and became that by doing something different. But Jesus is that solution for us. He always shows up. When we're having these wrestlings, these, well, God, what am I doing? Who am I, God? He shows up to remind us of these things. I even had a conversation, a conversation this last week of, of trauma after trauma after trauma. Left my head reeling for an entire day. I was worthless for, for an entire day. I was just like, whoa. And, but I kept, I, I was reminding her, I was like, do you see at every stage where you could have skewed off and become an alcoholic, skewed off and become a druggie, skewed off and become devastated, skewed off and, and became defined by that trauma, you were steered in a different direction. You were steered to hope. You were steered to love. You were steered to compassion. You were steered to release and forgiveness. Remember, that's when Jesus was with you. Because you couldn't do that. You can't forgive. You can't recover from trauma. You can't go, come through certain things on your own. It has to be Christ. Jesus is the solution, and, and he has a solution, not only for our doing, but our being as well. That's why Jesus, the, the context in here, that's why our, our point this morning is, blessed are those who hear and hear the word of God and keep it. I wasn't cutesy this morning. I didn't come up with a little you know, fun catchphrase. Just straight from the word of God. This is straight from Jesus' mouth. Blessed are those who hear the word of God, as you're hearing it there here this morning, preached, and keep it, guard it, do it, live it, walk it out. Let it be a defining decision in your life. Let it be a follow-up decision and a follow-up decision and a daily decision in your lives. So let's look deeper. This may seem like a, such a small passage, but there's so much goodness to this, to this passage here. So let's look at the first part. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. Ra Jesus said, rather, we'll get to that in a second. <coughs> but let's look at this statement. This statement comes after this whole you know, discussion about Jesus being you know, healing people by the power of Beelzebub and Beelzebul and all these things. And, and, but Jesus saying, nah, it's not me, if, you know, all that jazz. Um, and he's coming in and he, and he uh, is talking about, holy, about these unclean spirits and, uh, <coughs> and, and basically saying return. You know, he, he, he takes out the evil and he replaces it with good. He's not casting out demons by the power of demons, but his power comes from God. His power is the power of God. His power to not only release people from evil, but to fill them with good, to fill them with this Holy Spirit, comes from the power of God. And so this crowd is amazed. This crowd is like, you have come from God. Whoa. It's like the brick of the truth of that just fell on them like a pile of bricks. He's like, whoa. And that's why this woman is like, 
Blessed are you. Blessed is the womb that, you know, I, would, I wish basically her saying, I wish I was your mama. I'd be a proud mama. Like, yeah, I did a good job. Yeah. Woo. But blessed is that my, this is trying to be a compliment. She's trying to compliment him and, uh, and his preaching for what, he, what he's doing in preaching. But Jesus shifted the conversation a little bit. He says, rather. So this word, rather, basically him saying, nah, bro. No. Saying, no, nay, no, nah. To the contrary or on, or on the contrary. His response to a, this compliment is actually quite deflating to her. Like she was like pouring out like, oh, blessed are you. Oh, well, thanks, Jesus. I was trying to compliment you. You ever have those people in your life, you're like trying to give them a compliment, like, oh, no, it's not me, it's only God. I'm like, okay, well, I'll shut up then. <laughs> you know, and it's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with, trying to, with giving glory to God and saying, no, it's not me, it's him. You know, that's, a, that's more of a personal issue, like just the, I tried to compliment you, and it was like, oh, just, that's deflating. We've been there, right? But it's, it, this is, you know, Jesus is trying to say, thank you, but... Is his, is his conversation. He's trying to honor her, and, and he's like, yeah, my mom's awesome. You know. <coughs> oh, sorry. Right in the microphone. <coughs> and so, you know, trying to pay him this compliment, um, and basically Jesus is saying, it's all about him. It's all about my father. It's all about God. Rather, shifting, sticking, moving. Um, because he understood that, the, that this culture was used to this, this way of compliments, this way of complimenting your speaker, complimenting your, this, this, this communicator. Uh, they had, uh, in their day, they, they had entertainment called sophists. They didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They didn't have electricity. Uh, they, they had the, the theater that they could go to, but also they had this entertainment, this form of entertainment uh, called sophists. And these sophists, the word sophist, Sophia, in the Greek means wisdom. So you had this person who would come in, basically like a preacher, and you would, this preacher would entertain through wisdom, through talking about wisdom and basically giving a sermon. They would actually give a sermon based around a topic, kind of like a TED talk. There's this form of entertainment. So you'd have a dinner party, you'd have a sophist come and give you, a, you know, kind of like today we could have a, have a comedian. We'd have like a, you know, a fancy dinner night for a fundraiser. And then we'd have a comedian, entertainment at the end of it. That's like this culture. The culture was used to being entertained with speeches and teachings and wisdom. <coughs> but Jesus, once again, turns it from entertainment and praise back to allegiance and obedience. Back to faithfulness to God. So let's look at this. Who, let's look at this. The, the womb. Who is the womb? Who is the one who nursed Jesus? Mary. Oh, hello. There you go. <laughs> this is actually you know, what Jesus is saying. Like this, he's not dishonoring his mother. Rather, this is actually kind of more of an indictment, even for us today. And in our culture today, maybe not us, us, but this is an indictment against the mentality of elevating the worship and veneration of Mary too far. Um, <clears throat> like I said, like he didn't do this to dishonor his mother. And in this, he didn't dishonor his mother. 
He wasn't saying, no, my mother, no, you don't know my mom. She's, mm, you know, we won't go there. But she's not, you know, blessed is, you know, he's not, he's not dishonoring his mother. He is still honoring her. Um, but here's the thing. He did not submit to his mother any longer. He was a full-fledged adult. Uh, but not only that, but um, he is also now the patriarch of the family. Because Joseph is dead. And now the firstborn, Jesus, is now the patriarch. And so the family submits to him. So all of his brothers and sisters submit to him. And it's interesting to see that not only did he not, he just didn't, he didn't just simply not dishonor her, but he actually took this as an opportunity um, to not venerate her like they were trying to. Because again, their culture was one of honor and you venerate someone and honor them through your speech. You know, they, they expected him to say, oh, yes, my mother and blah, 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 blah. No, he was like, stick and move. Let's talk about my father. Let's talk about my father's will. Not Joseph, but his father. Because here's the reality. <coughs> now, and I don't say this to, because I know quite a few of you were, were born and raised Catholic. And so I don't say this as a, as a thumb, you know, down or just a, as a, as a, an indictment against our, our brothers and sisters in, in Catholicism. But Mary was a sinner in need of grace. She had a need of a savior. She was a sinner. She was found favorable by God, but she was still under the wrath of God because, because she was a sinner. Out of, out of step with him. But she, I'm sorry, not us. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say out of step with him because she was known as being faithful. She would go and offer worship in the temple and she was known as one who was faithful to God. Uh, but she needed a savior. That's what I'm getting at. Okay. She needed Jesus. She needed the one that she would give birth to. Just like everyone else in the Jewish culture needed a savior. She got the blessing though and the pleasure of giving birth to him and raising the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you know much about the Passover lamb that Jesus is being pictured here as being the lamb of God, it, during, during Passover for 14 days, they would actually live with the lamb in the house so that when they sacrificed it, it hurt emotionally. Wow. You know, I had this, uh, <coughs> I was a youth pastor in Texas in FFA. They would get, you know, show the pigs and they would you know, show them around and everything, show the animals, show the, the steers, and you know, we have these things here today. FAA, 4-H, and stuff like that at the county fair. And they actually had counselors on hand because these elementary, junior high, and high school kids would, be, would gain a, an emotional attachment to their animal. And they knew when they were going to send it off to, you know, after they sold it to the highest bid, after they sold it, they knew that that animal was going to be slaughtered. Right. And they would cry. <laughs> and they would weep and they would mourn and we had one of my junior high kids that I had to like console you know because she, because she was she was like devastated by the fact that her her pig that she'd been raising for like months and months and months was gonna die and she had named it and all sorts of stuff don't name your animals that you're gonna, that you're gonna show they're gonna slaughter <laughs> unless it's like you know bacon ham oh you're such a you're such a ham yeah. Yeah, those are you know, friends of mine always named the, that, that one horse. Josh, you know what I'm talking about. That one horse, you're like, name it Elmer. Glue. Yeah, glue. 
<laughs> but they would live with the lamb in the house with them because God wanted to under- them to understand the, the meaning of sacrifice. And that was the very first animal sacrifice that Israel had done was during Passover. And so this is Jesus. She lived with him for 30 years. And he will eventually become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by being sacrificed and dying on the cross for the sins of the world. To take away the sins of the world. She got the privilege, but also the emotional turmoil of watching her son die on the cross. I mean, eventually she would follow Jesus later on in his ministry. Um, And then eventually her care, like talked about in John, uh, was given over to his disciple John. And so now she, she had a new patriarch over her that would lead her. And so eventually so that John, after the dispersion, would eventually move to Ephesus. And you know who came with John when he moved to Ephesus? Mary, his mother. And that's where it was believed that Mary actually died. Mary died. Let me just be clear about that. Mary died. She did not assume to heaven. She died and is buried either in Ephesus or in Jerusalem. There's two different you know, fields on that one, historical accounts on that one. But she did not assume, like there, like a lot of people, there, like the Catholicism actually preaches. Again, this is not an indictment against Catholicism, um, <coughs> and I don't want to just rag on the, on the Catholics. But this is a biblical truth that I think we need to understand so that we can understand Mary and her, her part to play in all of this, her piece of the puzzle. She would eventually uh, come to full faith in Jesus and say, yes, my son was the Lamb of God who forgave my sin. When he was dying on the cross, that was my sin that was placed on him. And when he rose from the dead, I get to be raised with him as a sister in Christ. I'm his mother and his sister. That's weird. (laughs) That's weird to us in this culture. Sister in the faith, sister in in Christ, in himself, right? But it's interesting just to see how this veneration of Mary came out of this pagan worship that happened happened in the church, this paganization of the church in the 4th, 5th, 6th centuries, um, and venerated her to the place, actually, so she would actually replace uh, Artemis the Great as the divine feminine in the worldly culture, and still continues today to be venerated and worshipped um, uh, as, a, as a deity in many forms here in America and around the world. Uh, as all, actually, there's been much that is said, basically, like, Mary can take away your sins. Let me just be clear. She cannot take away your sins. The only one who can take away your sins is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world by dying for them, dying with them. And there's a whole lot more to that too, but uh, what does Jesus have to say about, about her? And I was praying, and I was like, Jesus, because we get to talk to Jesus, right? You know, we get to talk to Jesus in our spirit. We're like, hey, Jesus, what's up? I'm reading about you. Tell me, tell me about you. Hey, Jesus, tell me about your mom. How, how do you, what do you feel about her? 
What do you think about Mary? And just sitting with that question. And I just kept getting this, this feeling, this, sens- this, this sensing that Jesus was saying, man, she's a wonderful woman. She was so kind and patient. Her image to today has just simply been distorted into something that it was never intended to be or some, anything that she desired. Um, <coughs> because it's interesting to see all throughout Jesus, the life of Jesus' ministry how even his own family rejected the image of his mother. I'm sorry, of, of, of him as Savior, of Jesus. They rejected him. His family thought he was crazy. You know, so all over the scriptures, it talks about every time you know, he, he, his family would come, and they'd try to, they were standing outside, and they're they like, hey, let Jesus know that we, we want to talk to him because we want to like, take him and rescue him from himself because we think he's being crazy. He's being ridiculous. He's making everyone mad at him. He's not the Savior that we were thinking that it was supposed to be. And when the angel came and told me these things, I had this thing in my mind, and that's why I said, you know, let it, be happen, you know, let it happen to me according to your word. But he's not abiding by a God. He's not abiding by the way that I thought it's going to be. So we need to kind of, you know, rein him in a little bit and, you know, let him remember that he's supposed to be a military leader. They had a false assumption of who Jesus was supposed to be as well. But Jesus kept saying, who, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? You know, pointing to those around him. He's like, um, y'all. Anyone who listens to the word and does it. Anyone who, know, who knows and does the will of my father. Not Joseph. Of my heavenly father. That is my mother. That is my brothers. That is who is with me. Because he even says in John 7, you know, for not even his brothers believed in him. But we know that at least later on, which we'll get to a verse that, we, that he, he writes later, Jesus' brother, half-brother James, comes to faith in Jesus and writes one of the books of the Bible that we've got in the back of your Bible there. That's his brother that first didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. Jesus' mother uh, tried to calm him down and protect him. You know, they wanted to protect him. But he kept going back and going back and going back. Here is the, the relational dynamic. Here is who I am. Remember, he kept trying to remind his mother and his brothers, here is who I am. Jesus gently rebukes the blessing of misplaced identity, both with this woman here in our passage here this morning and to his mother and his brothers. Every time that they come and try to bring him back or try to manipulate him or try to control him, he flips it back on him and reminds them, this is who I am. This is why the angel spoke to you these words. Because I exist, my identity is for you. I have to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I have to be the one that preaches the full counsel of my Father. I have to be the image of the Father so that when people see me, they've seen the Father. They have to see me in order to realize why they need me. Where the sin in their own lives, where the brokenness and the hopelessness in their own life resides, so that when they look on me, they see hope. They see a joy. They see the fulfillment of the gospel. They see the fulfillment of the promises of God. That I am who I am. 
that I am God. And to believe what I say. To believe that what I say has value. To to believe that what I say and who I say you are and your identity in me is true. He taught and he taught and he taught and he, he gave commands. And here it is. I love this command. Here it is. The one command of Jesus Christ. This is my command. Love one another. As I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What is it again? If you, what is it that I command you? To love one another. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that, you sh- that your, sh- your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask my fa- the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. He said it a second time. He didn't only say it the one. He said it a second time. This is what I command you. What is it? What is it? What is it? One more time. That is Jesus' command. So simple. Amen. So simple. That word agape. We've mentioned it several times, but I'm going to mention it again. The word agape, I believe, comes from the Hebrew word chesed, which means steadfastly loyal devotion. This I have decided to love you whether you want it or not. I have decided to love you whether you've earned it or not. Whether you're a jerk and a meanie head, and I want to punch you in the throat, or not. I have decided to love you. I have decided to be devoted to your tov, your good. No matter if you reciprocated or not. That's why it's known for being unconditional. I have decided to love you because Jesus commands me to love, be steadfastly devoted to one another. And here's James. Here's that. Here's his brother. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law or way of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a, f- a forgetful hearer, but a doer of who works, who does, this person will be blessed in what he does. And later on, James will go on to say that basically faith, you know, belief without doing, without works, without fulfilling it, by doing it, by walking in it, by keeping it, that person's faith is worthless. It is dead. 
If we don't follow up who we are by practicing who we are, then what we say, what we believe, is a farce, and we're a hypocrite. If we believe the grace of God, but we do not extend the grace of God by doing the grace of God, we show that we don't actually trust in the grace of God or even understand it. We fulfill good, our understanding of good, by doing good. Like Jesus, you know, Jesus even talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the, the, the core of what we do and why we do it, that's where the core of whether it's good or bad, what we do is good or bad, it comes from. Like he says, you know, you don't have to murder someone, but if you're angry with them, if you hate them in your heart, you've murdered them. Because he's saying the sin part is the core, is the, is the action, is the being part. You are being hateful in your heart, and it manifests itself in a broken action, in a sinful action. The stinking thinking, the wrong thinking, a.k.a. sin, Hamartias means wrong thinking, broken thinking, which leads to wrong action. That's what we're talking about here. That you, you don't, you, you, you've said, heard it said, don't commit adultery. Because like, dude, if you look at someone in your heart and like with lustful intent and say, I want me some of that, that's adultery. Because it starts in your being. It starts in your heart. And it manifests itself in a bad work. Bad thought manifests itself in bad work. Good thoughts, goodness in your heart, goodness in your mind, goodness in your spirit manifests as good works, as good doing, as keeping the word of God. You hear it, it changes your mind, it changes your heart, it shifts your life, and it ends up doing, changing your doing, shifting your trajectory in everything that you do. That's why we replace crap with good. We replace, like Jesus said last week, that Jesus has the power to take all the evil, take all of the bad, take all of the broken, the stinking thinking, the old tapes, the garbage in our minds, the garbage that we've accumulated from this world, the garbage that we've accumulated from our past, and the negative and, and, and just demeaning words that have been spoken over our lives, that you are worthless, that you are a mistake, that you are not worthy of anything. All these broken things that have been spoken over us, that have been hurled over us, these lies and deceptions that are opposite what the Father says about you, he's able to take all that garbage and crucify it with him on the cross. And to fill it, fill that hole, fill that void, fill that where I shouldn't be believing these things I believe them to be truth because Jesus has filled my spirit with truth that I am loved. I am not a mistake. I was done on purpose, with a purpose. I am loved. God looks at me and he sees someone that he not only loves and died for, but that he likes and that he enjoys. And he sees a better future for me than I could ever even dare to dream or to imagine. And I just have to grasp a hold of that and believe that and say, yes, Jesus, I receive that word. And that changes our trajectory. That changes what we do. That changes how we live our lives. 
Jesus didn't let this misplaced identity detour him or derail him. He was steadfast and focused on the goodness of the Father, on the goodness of God. And this is what the Bible calls persevering and conquering. Letting Jesus take all the garbage continually, even because it keeps, keeps coming into our minds, be either being, by being reminded by these people in our lives that hurl these lies on us, or by the enemy, or by the culture around us. So keep getting them out. You know, just, you know, don't you know, rebuke those thoughts. Be like, no, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Even say it to the person who's saying it to you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I do not accept those words of destruction and lie. I am a child of God. I am loved. I am, I am wanted. I am good enough. I am the source of God's joy, and I rebuke what you just said. Lies though, that are spoken over me. Anything that's a lie to your true identity in Christ, do not get derailed like Jesus did not get derailed. Jesus gives you the power to not get derailed because he has the power to take all that crap out, crap out of our mind, out of our heart, out of our spirit, out of our soul, out of our body, and replace it with good. Replace it with his truth. Replace it with his glory and with his joy. For you to conquer. For you to persevere. Because Jesus wants you to persevere. Jesus, you know, in, in, in the book of John, says, I have told you these things so that, you, uh, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Paul talks about this a couple times in Romans. Know in all things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. John, his disciple, he says, he says this in 1 John. He says, for this, is what, um, for, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, which is love one another. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. What is it? Our faith. Our allegiance to God as God and Messiah. As the, one who, as the creator God of this world. Our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does he command again? What did he command? What did Jesus command? To love one another. To believe and trust and, and pledge your allegiance and, and have your allegiance in God and to love one another. And here are the promises. Here are the promises. Here's the goodness. Here's the joy. Here's the, 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 the creamy center. Here is the, the, the amazingness to this concept. Here are the promises 14 times, I'm not going to read all of them, but 14 times in John's Revelation, it says, conquer. It says this, to those who conquer, to those who persevere, he said, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone, 
A new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the one who conquers, I will give him authority over all the nations. To he or she who conquers will be dressed in white clothes and will never, I will never erase his or her name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his or her name before my father and before the angels. To he, who con- he or she who conquers, I will make a pillar in the name, I'm sorry, in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on, on him or her the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and my new name. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. To the one who conquers, I will the one who conquers will inherit all these things, and I will be his God, and he or she will be my son or daughter. This is what it means to persevere, to do the will of God, to do the things of the word of God, to hear the word of God and to keep it. Is to say, I am a child of God. No lie or deception or attack will ever define me ever again because I know who I am. Because as Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Guard it. Persevere in that. Because it's good. Because he is good. And he says that you are good. You are enough. You are beloved of me. And I'm filling you with my spirit to remind you of who I am that, so that you don't walk away from the mirror and forget who you are. But as you, as you leave the mirror and you go and you do, you remember who you are. And you do the things of, of who you are. You live a life of goodness, of tov. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That these things would come out of your life. That they would just exude the glory and the goodness of our God. And that your life would have hope and purpose and meaning and that you would flourish. That's God's heart and desire for you. In this broken world, he has conquered it. Have faith. Have hope. Our our God has conquered the world. So that you would be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ in this world. Walk by that faith. Keep his word. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that something so simple as these two verses in the Bible can have such rich meaning for us today. Lord, that we would learn to hear and to keep your word in this broken and evil and and sinful generation, God. I pray for, Lord, for your, your kingdom to come your kingdom to be known, your will to be done, 
by us in the kingdom of God. As we walk and we remember who you are, we remember who we are, and we encourage and remind each other of who we are in Christ. That's why you gave us the church, is to inspire one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to correct one another and bring us back to remembrance of who we are so that we can live who we are, so that we can live the kingdom of God on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bless us, God. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.